Good afternoon. I'm Rob Weatherall, co-chair of the Programs Committee. On behalf of my fellow co-chairs, Kurt Karnatz and Jonathan Zietler, and all the other individuals that have helped on the programming front, I welcome you to the final program of 2018. At your place, and Liz mentioned this earlier, but at your place, you found the program lineup for 2019. And you'll see on that that there's still a number of opening uh, spots for speakers and venues. So if uh, you have any ideas, please reach out to someone on the Programs Committee or the Executive Committee. We're going to jump right into today's program. Liz covered some of the upcoming programs, so in the interest of time. Today's program is entitled Corporate Headquarters, Why Companies Choose Chicago. To discuss this very timely topic, we have a really all-star panel group here today, uh, Dennis, Steve, and Paul. Uh, their bios are on the table, so again, in the interest of time, I'm not going to uh, spend time introducing them. First, we have Dennis Viccarelli. He's the ex Executive Vice President of Business Development at World Business Chicago. Dennis will provide the city and state perspective. He will address some of the advantages of doing business in Chicago, including the labor force, cost of living, and transportation. He will also discuss some of the challenges, including the political climate, the financial state of affairs, and the incidence of crime. Next, we have Paul Abrahamson in the middle, in the center. Paul is the Director of Workplace Services at Grant Thornton. Paul will provide the end user perspective. He will address the de decision-making process the company uses when selecting one city over another. There are many elements to consider and they vary from company to company. What factors most in this important decision? And we also have Steve Stratton, International Director, Chairman of the Headquarters Practice Group at JLL. Steve will provide an overview of the Chicago real estate market. Chicago is a dynamic market and Steve will give us an update on recent activity, current trends, and a look into the future. So with that, I turn it over to Dennis. I think I might stand up and, am I on? Testing, okay, very good. Uh, good afternoon, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak here today. This is my second time with Cornet here at the uh, December event, so uh, uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do a quick overview. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. So first of all, World Business Chicago, just real quick. Most people are probably familiar with us and what we do, but if you're not, we are the public-private economic development organization that works on behalf of the mayor in the city of Chicago on attraction and corporate retention projects. So, um, so what I'm gonna do here is we've been around since uh, about 2000. Um, just wanted to give you uh, a couple insights, an overview of what we're experiencing, what companies are saying are the reasons they want to locate here in Chicago, what are the questions and the inquiries that they're, that they're directing towards us. So real high level discussion and then I'll let my co-panelists here drill down a little bit into their individual expertise. Um, so first off, our company selecting Chicago and bear with me, we're, gonna, we're doing a little, yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna track this from here. Um, yeah, definitely, I've been doing this for about 30 years now, and I have to say, in particular, the last four or five years have just been uh, phenomenal in terms of corporate relocations, expansions. Um, it's been amazing. Uh, we've had, I kind of look at it, there's been three trends that we've sort of gone through uh, in sequence here. Uh, we had the big move. We were having a number of companies that were just finding it difficult. 
somebody like the Conagros and some of the and like the ADMs that were just having a hard time operating out of their, their smaller uh, locations. It was really hard to be a global company out of Omaha or out of Decatur. They were having difficulties recruiting the talent, things like that. So we saw, you know, we had a number of, you know, major companies move their operations here for that reason. Um, then we had the big suburban relocation, which we're all familiar with, uh, the Beam Suntories, the McDonald's, um, companies that just really felt that, you know, um, to, to reestablish themselves, to get access to the talent, uh, to be operating in an innovative environment. Um, they would move, in most cases, not their entire operations, but part of their operations, sort of a bifurcation where um, they would have groups moving into the downtown. So we certainly work with a number of those. Um, and now we've kind of entered into a third phase, which is a lot of fun for me. I get a lot of satisfaction out of being an economic developer here for some time. Um, it's really the big national tech companies, and it's the Salesforce and the Googles and companies like that that are really doing big expansions here. We just announced a Salesforce 1,000 jobs uh, just about a week ago, and that's been a trend that we've enjoyed now for a couple of years. So, uh, again, I get a lot of satisfaction because for such a long time, Chicago was moaning and groaning. Nobody, you know, we're not a tech center. We're not on the map. And... You know, we're finding some of the biggest and best tech companies really like it here, and they're and they're making investments on a regular basis. Um, yeah, thank you. So, so four reasons, real quick. I'll just I'll run through these you know, record. First one, it's pretty obvious. Most of you uh, deal with this every day. Market access. Um, at the end of the day, we'll just you know, it's a giant economy. I mean, if you take a look at Chicago, and you look at the GDP. Um, if we were a standalone nation, we'd be somewhere around Sweden or Turkey. You know, it's that big of an economy. So that in of itself, you know, companies like Miller Coors and stuff, not only do they locate here for the advantages, but they also locate because it's, it's a way for them to solidify a market. I mean, there's just that many customers, there's that many clients and, and suppliers and vendors. So um, we'll go to the next one. You know, the other thing that's really, you know, it's the most diversified economy in North America. Um, Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. Mostly it's good um, in that people are here because, again, they can, f they can provide all the inputs they need to be successful. Um, it's a little tricky as an economic developer sometimes when you're marketing the city because you're not necessarily associated as the headquarters or the capital of any one particular sector. But, um, and then the third thing along with market access is you, know, you have this giant economy, this diversified economy, and we're relatively affordable. Um, this is an index that Deloitte does for us every year. And you know, if you take a look at our competitor cities, the coastal cities, you know, we're much more much more affordable in terms of business costs um, than the New Yorks and the San Franciscos. Um, you know, we're we are a little bit more expensive, you know, than some of the other interior competitors, the Denvers and the Atlantas. But you know, then we would argue our other advantages kick in, and 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 and, and even that out that that equation. So. Uh oh. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, we're having a little, yeah, sure, it's not, it's not tracking them with it, yeah, there's a tracking up here though, that's the problem, yeah, so, um, yeah, 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 well, you know what, um, they hired me to operate. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You gave it your best. I, I appreciate it. You know, I'll, I'll, I, for the sake of time, let me just go ahead and I'll just kind of verbally through the rest of it. You know, the other major advantage we get here, um, in addition to the market access, is, uh, and bear with me. Gonna, uh, there we go. Okay, there we go. Do you think it's going to track now? Sorry. It, it was. Okay. 
Oh, yes. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There's actually some numbers, and, you know, my graphic design people would have been a little... Yeah, now this one. Okay. All right. We'll get there. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to fix you right here. Okay, so here's, here's my cost of business slide, um, the one that's probably very interesting for most of you in the room. Um, you know, after that, it's talent, and that's really what we're hearing, you know, probably more than anything right now is it's just talent. Um, if we can't get people and we can't get people in abundance, it doesn't matter what incentives or other advantages, you know, we're not going to be functional. Um, I would argue, can we just argue a little bit? Uh, <laughs> Which, for, it would be impossible for me not to yeah. challenge something. So I, I think part of it is we did a survey of CEOs and of the a number of the CEOs and the companies coming here, the average age was 52 and the average tenure was 12 months to 15 months. So I think the talent is really critical, but what, what we have seen is these CEOs want to make a statement of transformation. And it has to do with company culture, M&A activity, whatever that might be. So I think Chicago is just an easy way for him to get a good decision out of it, but it is a leader that's got to sit on that board of directors and say, I'm going to move 3,000 people from Oak Brook to downtown Chicago. You're going to do what, right? And you also have a left behind philosophy, like Omaha moved a lot of, they moved people from Omaha to ConAgra, but they also left behind a thousand people. So there's a, there's a lot of this decision making that goes into moving a thousand people, 2,000, 3,000, or a hundred executives out of ADM from Decatur, or 500 from Caterpillar up to Deerfield, that have this transformational factor to it. And, and, the, and because Chicago checks a lot of these boxes that Dennis is mentioning is why we have been so successful in, in, in securing a number of these, notwithstanding HQ2. And by the way, did you see Apple had just announced a billion dollar campus in Austin? So there's a lot of other stuff going on in this, in this tech world as, as well. So I'm sorry, Dennis, I just no, had no, to. No, that's yeah. right. no, no. Thanks, um, thanks for still. Yeah. Well, and actually, um, you know, the, the other two, the other two points I was going to make is, 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 and that one's right along with what Steve just said, is the innovation. You know, um, you know, Chicago was always seen as a major economic, you know, center, but it wasn't necessarily seen as a, a real global innovator for a long time, and that that certainly has changed. And um, and a lot of companies want to be in an area that you know that you know, even though they're a large established company, they, there's proximity to startups. Um, you know, it's the research at the universities. You know, it's that culture is really really important for companies. Um, and certainly, uh, we're in a good place that way. Um, you know, and then the final thing is just, you know, co connectivity, another one of those. I mean, it used to be we were on a lake and a river. Today, it's the airports. Um, I know O'Hare is probably a big frustration for most of you, but, you know, when you take a look at two airports and where they'll get you, um, it's pretty amazing the access you have to international markets as well as domestic markets. Um, you know, it also goes into a couple of areas when I say connectivity. Um, this one, this was a huge advantage for a while. I think the, the, the fields, playing field's a little leveled. Um, the internet access that you enjoy here, you, you're, you really are in one of the most wired cities, if not the most wired city in the world, was a huge advantage for a while, particularly people in the FinTech and that, although that one's, the technology's rapidly uh, leveling the field there, but still that's important. And then, you know, the other one I just kind of throw in there is public transportation because, boy, you know, for the first 25 years of this, nobody, Nobody cared about public transportation. And you know, now we talk to major Fortune 500 companies and it is top five on their list of location advantages. So, and there's only a few cities that really have 
true public transportation systems in North America. Unfortunately, we're one of them. Um, so, you know, um, there's a couple negatives, and we can talk about those in the Q&A, but I want to give my uh, fellow panelists here, you know, a chance to talk. So why don't I go ahead and turn it over to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's on. We've got some gremlins here. <laughs> oh, this? Yeah. Yeah, I was trying. It's, yeah. it's not working. It's, it's a delay. It's probably a delay. It's okay. I've only got three slides. Yeah, yours is a good one. Let's get rid of it. This is on reverse. The, sorry, the, uh, the computer's not changing, but. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Paul Abrahamson. I'm director of uh, new name as of today, Real Estate and Office Services. No more workplace services, thank God. But uh, I'm here representing the end user side and talking a little bit more about going through that location uh, strategy or location process where we select uh, locations for our business. Um, it's a pretty complex uh, process that we go through in selecting a location. There's so many different factors involved. But um, I would tend to go back to Dennis's argument that I think that, you know, given the change in the business climate, um, particularly in Chicago with the focus on not only technology but innovation these days, that the, the change in the workforce and the generations and supporting that workforce really requires us to look at, you know, really look at talent, not just look at the other things that we normally look at from, from a perspective of the location. So, um, so uh, starting to talk more about, you know, uh, why companies pick Chicago over other areas of the country, you really have to look at our competitors. And as Dennis said, uh, if, you, if you looked at a slide where, you know, he um, indicated the, the cost of doing business, I believe it was, in, in Chicago, you know, it's sort of middle of the road. But when you look at it uh, based on the competitor base and where Chicago wants to go with innovation technology, if you specifically look at areas like, you know, the Bay Area, San Francisco, L.A., um, you know, on the East Coast, New York, and other cities on the East Coast, you know, the, there, there are a lot of reasons to pick Chicago. And if my slide is showing up there, um, some of those reasons include our, our reasonable cost of living, great opportunities in commercial real estate here. Uh, as Dennis said, transportation hub, you know, like it or not, uh, O'Hare is central. You can pretty much get anywhere in the United States or in the world these days from O'Hare. Um, ours operation, our deal, it's something we deal with all the time, especially as a national company. Be able to be central to time zones is a huge benefit. Um, our university feeder systems are getting better all the time. They're excellent, some of the best in Chicago. Our wage index, and going back to labor wage rates, again, if you look at our competitors, uh, the, the attainment of incredible talent here in the city and what we pay for that talent is, is far more reasonable than what we are paying in other, what they're paying in other competing cities because of the cost of living, et cetera. Um, environmental risks are relatively low here. Uh, not too many earthquakes, fires, and floods uh, that you see a lot on the coast. Um, local and state incentive packages. Uh, amenities, uh, I don't know if everybody, probably everybody in this room knows, but uh, last year, 2017, Condé Nast rated Chicago's the number one restaurant city in the United States. Huge, huge benefit, and and Chicago is often ranked um, at the top in terms of work ethic in the city. So moving to the next slide, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's spotty, right? I think the connection's intermittent. Yeah. yeah. I can do it on here, I think. Yeah. I can try. There we go. Did it change there? No. It changed here. Yep. Anyways, I'll just, I can just start talking. So it's, it's interesting to take it down to another level and, and look at the migration from the suburbs in the Chicago area to the city. Since 2014, headquarters have moved from the city uh, at a rate three times uh, headquarters are moving from the city out to the suburbs. And we'll talk a little bit more about it, but I, I think it's not that simplistic. I think they're, they're you know, looking at doing different uh, real estate strategies and operation strategies with different parts of the business. So there's more to that story to Steve's point. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of different factors on why corporations are moving to the city, or at least in part. And, you know, one of the greatest factors is because is where our talent is, is going these days. And, um, you know, millennials and generations that follow millennials, millennials are migrating to the city. Uh, you know, we live in a different world these days, and people want to be close to work. They want to be able to, you know, get home and work out. You know, time is limited, and being closer to work, you know, certainly helps with that. Our tax base is lower and hopefully staying low, <laughs> lower than some of the suburbs. Like I'm personally uh, responsible. Yeah, you are. You are. Yeah, right. Um, our levels of education are, are definitely on the increase in the city. You know, that, that isn't true everywhere in the city, but in a lot of neighborhoods, uh, it's getting much better. Uh, Dennis addressed public transport, transit. This Chicago's known as a very walkable city. Talked about restaurants, local amenities, uh, there's plenty of them. Uh, the other thing, too, is that I think that individual neighborhoods within the city are becoming like villages. So they're like suburbs within the cities, and people feel comfortable being in those villages or being in those subdivisions of the city. Um, another, another talent strategy is looking at the makeup of talent. And um, one, of the, one of the big issues is really that, you know, there's, there may be a, a big focus on technology and innovation, but, and so great, you know, we get the younger workforce in to focus on fresh ideas and new technology, but somebody has to manage that. So they really need the diversity of having experienced management along with the younger workforce. And Chicago is very well supported. If you look at the history, we've got that support and infrastructure, not only from the core business, but also from professional services and financial services that support, you know, the growing core business in Chicago. Um, we, we also have a great influx of support in terms of companies that want to move to Chicago and then they want to, they're moving to Chicago to increase their branding, marketing, and their, and their presence in the market. And we have, you know, we've grown into one of the biggest advertising uh, and marketing uh, locations among the, the top cities in the U.S. So that's a big benefit to corporations. Um, and, you know, lastly, in terms of talent strategy, is really poaching. You know, we, we're always looking for the best talent. And where do you get You get it from your neighbors, you know, and it's... Uh, it's easier to do it in a city like Chicago where they're all amongst us, right? On the, on the real estate side, just to address it, I, th I think that, you know, and, and maybe, Steve, you're going to talk about that a little more in, in your uh, presentation, but, you know, we look at companies like McDonald's, um, you know, I've talked to Scott quite a bit about, you know, why they move the company. But I, I think the overall trend is really to, to move to the city for all the reasons that we discussed before, but also to, to kind of get a fresh start, you know, to optimize your real estate footprint, um, you know, get into, you know, real estate is so much different these days. Everybody's working remotely, and we've talked about this over and over and over again. But, you know, if you move in the city, 
you can provide more efficient space, you know, in the suburbs, especially with, you know, single user campuses, you have a lot of wasted space, paying for a lot of square footage that you don't use. And, and um, you know, moving in the city affords you the ability to, you know, design space where you're hoteling, dealing with a work remote force, uh, co-working space that you wouldn't have. Now, it exists in the suburbs, but not to the extent it does in the city. And then uh, lastly, I just want to address kind of Steve's point. I think that we've also seen a lot of corporations and we're going through it as well, where um, we're looking at focusing our efforts for uh, sort of frontline type executive presence, sales, marketing, in uh, moving to cities, um, Chicago or otherwise, uh, for that presence, for that marketing and branding, whereas we're looking at back office operations, manufacturing, distribution, uh, and you know, having a completely separate location strategy for those groups or leaving them you know, in their current location where they grew up, where they, where they grew up from the grassroots and moving the executive presence and marketing branding into the city. So, thank you. Yeah, good stuff. Um, so my mic's on. So let me take a couple perspectives here from my, my friends. There's like three things I think that are important. One is it started with United Airlines a decade ago. This isn't just a new phenomenon, right? They were the first pre-recession major move to come into downtown when they committed to go to Willis Tower. And this is out of, out of context remarks here. And they moved, agreed to move like 5,000 people from Elk Grove Village and Denver and Seattle to Willis Tower and had a TIF from the city. Many people wouldn't remember the, the TIF that Mayor Daley put on, on Willis Tower at the time. So that's kind of when it started. And just as of today, for our candy announced, they were coming downtown. So you've seen this thing as a continuum. It isn't going to end. It is not going to end. People are going to find a way to get the talent. And that's kind of point number two is it's not just the tech company's talent. It is J.P. Morgan Chase and BMO and Walgreens. It's all the corporates. They, there's a starvation for talent. And it's not just the IT team. It's the digital guys and gals. And the third reason is once those young talent folks are focused downtown, the transit magic is that they can go back to anywhere from Orland Park to Lake Forest to their, you know, where they first were born and raised because of the transit. So I'll, I'll have a, a, a CRE or somebody from HR come and say, what, God, we're going to move all these people downtown. What, if, what, what happens when they get a family? Want to? Well, they can take the IC or they can take... Northwest, well, they have, they've got all this access to, tr to transit, which is why this becomes a magical city, right? This hub and spoke idea. And the last piece of this is the scene, which there had been between HR and corporate real estate is, is magically disappearing. Because it is not just a cost of capital and a rent and all the new gap and FASB things that people deal with at the real estate side, right, Rich, at AT&T? It is about talent and therefore we're seeing one out of five companies, real estate departments, report into HR. That never used to be. It was CFO, COO, legal. The HR team in many companies, and in JLL, for example, is running corporate real estate. And they have no idea what a lease is, but they know what the people, the people equation is, right? So that's kind of some thinking that I've had just listening to, to my, my partners up here. Uh, my first slide is just kind of a high-level overview of 9 million feet of tenants, if that's the next one. Okay, fine, I'll just, I'll do it by hands. 9 million feet have moved from the suburbs and out of town to downtown Chicago. 
that's about 7% of the downtown inventory. Think about that. That nobody kind of anticipated when you look at absorption historically, and boom, all of a sudden, we've had about a million and a half square feet of users every year on average coming to downtown Chicago in a bunch of different markets. We've seen supply drop, vacancies in that class A minus A, trophy buildings hovering around 10, historically around 15, all in the markets around 13, but that's in the B category, and that's not where the headquarters and related headquarters users are going because the footprint doesn't work, the infrastructure doesn't work, the washrooms are, you know, all that stuff because of the densities that Paul mentioned. The other thing is we're seeing a firming in, 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 in rental rates. We're worried about taxes, but we're also seeing a tremendous amount of negotiated concessions that keeps the net effective rate pretty level. So we've seen this increase in rents. We've also seen more structure around GAP and FASB rules to kind of smooth all this stuff out. And the only way to kind of make that work is you're taking 20% less space, right? I mean, that's just kind of the facts we're all seeing, whether you're in architecture or whatever it might be. So it's less with more. We're willing to put more capital in. There's cost implications at 5% uh, a year on construction costs for those GCs and contractors in the room. We're seeing it, right? Unavoidable, so we're anticipating all that. But, but the dynamics of the nine million or a million and a half feet a year, that shouldn't, I don't see that stopping. And one of the reasons, I think, is the Chicago real estate ecosystem and the office space side is the best in the US. And I've got three perspectives on that. One is new trophy development, redevelopment, repositioning of existing assets, which is a, which is a phenomenon. And the third is Fulton Market, which I call it a sub-world to itself. So uh, we, for many years, in the, since the recession, the, you know, the big, the big one, didn't have any new development, 300 North of South, 353 North Clark, where those had delivered in the early part of this decade. Nothing happened until 444 Lake, 150 North Riverside delivered in 1617. You also had uh, CNA, 151 North Franklin deliver. These are all headquarters buildings. The guys at 625 Adams went spec with a 450,000 foot building. CDW just inked a deal for more than half of that. So here you have these buildings being built, and on the heels of these, these being built and leased, they're all, except for 625, 90-some percent leased, right? You then have this next wave, uh, 110 North Wacker B of A, uh, which consolidated their regional headquarters. You have Lincoln Financial, likely several law firms going to sign early next year. And on the heels of that, you had Salesforce finally announcing their deal at Wolf Point which led to a new signage ordinance, which was passed on October 31st, which impacts a lot of people. It doesn't retroactively go after Trump, unfortunately. Um, but then you also then have, on the heels of Salesforce, you then have B of, a, B of BMO Tower just announced this, this week. People talk about overbuilding with the post office and others and so forth. Not yet, and you can ask a question about that. But I think the phenomena to me is the redevelopment of major buildings, Willis. Aon, Prudential, the Mart, the Post Office. These are all two million square foot beasts that had to have huge capital to renovate them into this work, live, play experience. And they became magnets for these headquarters, right? You had Beam, Suntory, others that we've talked about are going into the Mart. Uh, you've got Walgreens moving their tech group downtown to the Post Office. You've got Ferrar Candy announcing 400 jobs uh, today in a 77,000 foot lease. So th these phenomena, you have Kraft Heinz going to Aon to be part of this media tech world, right? 
You had Wilson Sporting Goods go to Prudential Plaza, which was bought by Sterling Bay. So they're kind of leaping out of Fulton Market growing up, if you will. And so it, this whole kind of new trophy redevelopment is approaching 50 billion in reinvested and invested dollars. Big money, big, big money. And you've got Harry Skydell at 601 spending 800 million on what well, was a speculative building at the post office. So here you go, you got you know, some people with fairly uh, a lot of bravado kind of going at this marketplace. And then you've got the phenomena of Fulton Market. And the slide that I was gonna show has 20 different buildings of 30 to almost a million feet, 600,000 feet McDonald's, being built on spec, bold, forward. Google just took another 125,000 feet you know, next to the, the 1001 Fulton building. McDonald's, you've got potentially USG, potentially, going to Shapac's building. I mean, what's going on? And what RX bar, right, occupied that 50,000 foot spec building at Wells, right, and I think it was Grand. I mean, th it's kind of unabated, and I just don't see it stopping. And, I, and notwithstanding, there, there could be a little bit of blip out there. I think Chicago's office ecosystem gives you a broad set of options in a broad geography that meets all these kind of neighborhood uh, builds that are going on from Roscoe Village, which is where Paul lives, to downtown where I live. It's, it, I, I think it's marvelous. And I think Amazon effed up. I personally do. I think they, they could have, I think it could have been a lot better transformational opportunity for them there as opposed to going to Queens and, and, uh, and uh, Washington, D.C. Um, so anyway, that's kind of the baseline from the real estate standpoint. I'm obviously pumped about it. I'm a Chicago guy. I've been doing it for over 40 years, and I, I think it's marvelous. You know, Steve, one point that you made about banks, you know, and financial institutions, uh, you know, also you're seeing a lot of activity from them, but they really are turning into innovation technology firms. So, so they're really part of that that development, that crowd. Well, if you think of their branches, and you know, go you know, Chase and BMO and B of A and Fifth Third buying MB and all this, they have to get to the customer in a different way, and it's not by the guys like me or others. It's going to be the digitization model, right? And their branches are going to change. They need all this forward-thinking technology before they change your branches, which means you have to have all the smart people uh, in the IT side figuring it out. Yeah, I was talking to Rick Page last week about, uh, about that issue, and, and he said that most of the banks are having retail centers these days just really is a perception issue to make people feel more comfortable. Right. There's really no need for them anymore. And yet Chase and some others do have big operations centers in the burbs, which is on that talent basis. Those people kind of live and breathe around Elgin with all respect to Elgin. They're not coming downtown. They're going to stay in those areas where that labor meets that demand for that type of process orientation. And that may be replaced with technology at some point, so they're not making any big moves in those op centers right now. Well, let me jump in then. That might be a good spot for, for a question. Before I ask, though, I, I do want to apologize for the technical difficulties, and we will post these slides on the website. And please take a look. They're, they're just jam-packed with interesting data, so we're just very sorry that happened. But Steve, kind of picking up on your discussion, you know, Chicago historically has had neighborhoods, areas of the city that have been earmarked by specific industries, you know, the marketing and advertising industry on, on or near Michigan Avenue, you know, the banking and financial investment uh, by LaSalle Street. How do you see Fulton Market and West Loop uh, disrupting all of that? And what, what's it going to look like when, you know, down the road? It's disrupted. I mean, it's right, it's already disrupted. I think the fun thing about it, and those of you in the user side, 
you, you think about making a transaction and moving XYZ, you're committing for almost 20 years out, right? Your horizon has to be a 20-year horizon. So somebody like a WPP going to uh, from Michigan Avenue and the Merchandise Mart and jumping the Dan Ryan to occupy 250, almost 300,000 feet of 333 Green with Sterling Bay is a huge move. And so they're doing it in full anticipation that they're, they're making a game-changing move and they're, they're moving the industry that way. And I think it's a bold move by a bold CEO that's agreeing to do that. And uh, some of it's, you kind of just kind of cross your fingers under the table after you sign the lease. You know, I think you really do. And I think the problem with Fulton Market, if anything, having done a lot of kind of experiences in the restaurants and so forth, um, is the infrastructure has to catch up with all the people and all the parking issues and all the access to transit and all the other sort of things that goes when you move three or 4,000 people times three or four over the next five years. And I think, if anything, it's the Fulton Market. And I think the city, maybe it's a good question for Dennis, what's the city going to do to boost that infrastructure? Because it, it's not going away. It's a, it's a phenomenon that's not going away. Yeah. It's, you know, it's been a... We were a little worried, um, you know, when we saw so much activity start to direct itself to kind of towards the non-traditional central business district areas. You know, it's, it's going to be a zero-sum game. And the really great thing is it hasn't been. Um, you know, it was funny, and I don't know at what point, you know, people, when they came to us and they were t saying they were interested in a Chicago location, but, but don't show me a tower. I don't want a tower. I want a loft. I want to be somewhere else. I want something different. And, you know, we got a little worried, you know, that the central business district was going to suffer. But, well, it is just incredible to see what the design community has done to reinvent those towers. It really is. I mean, you know, you walk into the Hancock building these days, it's got exposed ceilings and all that. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, and it's been good. And, and, and they're doing quite well. So that's been, that's been the upside there, I think, is not only did the, the development in the west side and then some older structures and, and the, the adaptive reuse, um, it actually kind of, I think, forced the entire market to sort of upgrade and do some really interesting things. So, and I think that's been, been good. You know, Fulton Market, um, I'm that bad guy back in the day that used to protect that area from all the people that would come in and build the restaurants back in my early days because it was such a, a traffic nightmare. And, you know, I think the city is, it's a, it's a, it is a trick. Um, the strategy right now, and I think the strategy has always been, it's been a gradual transformation. And you do it, it's going to be very incremental. Um, there's real companies in there that provide food and product that, that, you know, the best restaurants, you know, that we pride ourselves on buy and can only find there. So you can't really force those folks out. We kind of do this soft-handed where we don't necessarily push anybody out, but at the same time, if they want to locate, we want to make sure they locate and that they can locate and stay in the city so that we don't lose that employment base altogether. So it's a, it's a kind of a block-by-block -block incremental process. I don't know if you can really do a big comprehensive you know, infrastructure upgrade to that area. Um, it's, it's, it's tricky. You know, it's a pencil. It's about that wide, but about that long, and it's just, you know, it's tricky. So. It's only 5 million, 6 million feet. Yeah. Really. Of the 150 odd in the marketplace, right? It's 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 not that big, yeah. but it's it's think of this: it's two merchandise marts in terms of size of market. So, it, one thing these big buildings have done is they they've created their own neighborhood experience, right? And the marts done a lot of cool things. You know, 350 New Orleans right next door. GGP moved in. They were using and taking advantage of transit and all the other food and beverage stuff and the live work play. Um, but it is something that everybody wants to see. Even the stickiest law firm wants to go see what's going on over there. Yeah, yeah. You know, because their friends or their wives or their buddies or whatever are going to say, did you guys take a look at 
at Fulton Market. And, uh, and we've had a couple that have said, God darn, golly, uh, I, wanna, I like it here. You know, it's cool. We had a lot of fun. We had General Electric when they were looking for their headquarters, and we, we had them out in that area. And when we told them we were going to take them out there, they just looked at it, because they're used to being in these nice, you know, Connecticut campuses, you know, onto themselves. And we told them we're going to take them and show them an interesting area, and they just looked at us like, you're wasting our time, and they were horrified. And it was probably one of the best. We didn't get the headquarters, but at the end of the day, boy, they, they, they changed their minds. And we did get two uh, other divisions here as a result of that day. And yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, Dennis, ch uh, switching gears just a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, during the Amazon HQ2 search, there was a lot of speculation that the poor political climate in Illinois was, was an issue. So we, the gubernatorial election is behind us and the mayoral is coming up in February. Any, what, where does World Business Chicago stand in terms of what the future is going to be? No, oh, I get the easy one. Um, <laughs> wow. You know, it's, uh, you know, it was never, Amazon never said that was the, exactly the reason why. Um, I would certainly agree, though, if, you know, when you talk about all the advantages that we've, that we've mentioned up here, you know, there's, there's definitely one or two sort of negatives that don't work in our favor. And, and, the, and uh, the political climate, and not just, uh, not really the political climate as much as just the financial uh, situation that the governments are in. The climate in Washington's so stable. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, I mean, and it's, it, 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 it does hurt. I would not be surprised if that was a bit of a deterrent for us. Um, you know, I could tell as, you know, as time goes on and we meet with companies, I mean, they're not necessarily, it's not, you know, again, we're competing with some global cities, and those global cities are a lot more expensive than us, as we've indicated. So it's not necessarily what the bottom line is going to be, but it's a predictability, you know. I mean, what are you guys going to have to do over the next 10 years to deal with this, you know, to deal with this crisis that you're in? And how, is, how unpredictable is that going to be for my bottom line and my, and my tax bill? And so, you know, it's been, you know, so trying to, 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 to get some people in front of these companies, you know, that are public finance experts and show them that there is some real thought process going on here, um, you know, is the first thing you can do. But, best, you know, us as World Business Chicago, we're not necessarily a lobbying group in the same, you know, sense as maybe the chamber, but we work very closely with those organizations. And, you know, we're working very hard, you know, putting together the briefing books and on the transition teams to make sure they understand that, um, you know, you as the governor and you as the mayor are going to play a very important role. You cannot be passive, and you cannot let petty politics get in the way. We have a good thing going, but you can wreck it. So that's the message right there, plain and simple. And I think, you know, I think I'm, I'm optimistic. It's not going to be easy, but I think I am optimistic that, you know, we're, we've kind of turned in the corner on this. By the way, as I ask questions, we are happy to take uh, questions from the audience. So just uh, let us know. Do I, mean, I think there's a bigger hurdle, personally. I think you've got the latest Mayor Daley, and you have uh, Mayor Emanuel, who, through all his faults, was a huge proponent for the city. He was a cold caller. Oh, yeah. He oh, was. Yeah. He, so anything short, it's going to be hard to match that in the next no. mayor, uh, no matter who we get. And I think some are going to be more probe. Yeah. No, it could be another Daley. Uh, but anybody we do get is going to be, that's going to be a very big reach for them to meet any of his energy around, you know, bringing business to Chicago. And I think their sensitivity has to be the neighborhoods and our other issues that we have in the neighborhoods. Um, so I think we have to do a little better job of bootstrapping it, you know, and being a better, between Grant Thornton or JLL or CB or Cushman, whoever that is, Deloitte and the consulting guys, we have to do a better job of selling the city than the maybe potentially new mayor. And uh, I think that's part of that sits on our shoulders. Just one other statistic, 
if you look at the overall cost of a corporate relocation, labor, real estate, all that, real estate's 8%. The rest of it's people. Right. So, so when you think about all the decisions mm -hmm. that go into it and the fact that we're, we're a low-cost real estate city, that's just kind of a rounding error, but it's a benefit. And I think as you look out over 10 or 15, 20-year analysis, all that carries a very positive factor to it, but it still is a basic cost and access to labor. Yeah. Good. Jonathan, I think we have a question down front here. But uh, while we're waiting for that, uh, Paul, real quickly, uh, we all know that labor force is incredibly important when making a site selection. Over half the people in the workforce right now are of the millennial generation. It's uh, obviously growing by the day. What happens as the millennials start to age? They start to have school-aged children, housing, the close to, you know, proximity to schools is a big deal. How is that going to impact the uh, real estate market in, in metropolitan areas like Chicago? Right. It, it, you know, it's obviously hard to predict. Um, but, you know, as Steve said, with real estate, the, the trend is it, it shows that, you know, millennials and the generations beyond are doing the same thing these days. And if you look at millennials, you know, millennials are not that young anymore. I mean, you're talking about from, you know, younger, younger to mid-20s all the way up into the late 30s. And, um, you know, millennials are, are choosing, instead of migrating the suburbs to go into the suburban house and commute, uh, we're seeing we're seeing a change in the older group of millennials uh, that are staying in the city rather than making that that change, and you know so the their their offspring are probably going to we're betting that they're going to follow in their footsteps, and uh, you know change with the change in in our um, you know our city our city within you know our, our uh, you know close neighborhoods uh, close by that. Um, those, those areas are changing so much that they're desirable to stay in for the other generations behind them. I guess we'll see. It yeah, will see. Right. right. We, we have a question? Um, hi. Uh, first, great panel. So thanks to all three of you and the moderator. Um, but, uh, Dennis, my question is for you. Uh, but before I say that, if anybody in the room can figure out how to get more cabs in the Fulton market, how do you have more valet lanes in Fulton Market and have cab stands in an easier way to get in and out besides Uber and Lyft would be a good idea. You, you don't have an Uber app? Give them, everybody give them one, please. That's just a suggestion. You know, just yesterday, the, so the city has a uh, kind of a, a task force around that very issue. And it was funny to sit around. I was just sort of the fly on the wall, and they had the choice. And I didn't even realize, there's like 25 companies out there, you know, that are doing some form of scooter, bike, or taxi. And I mean, the market is incredible. And, um, and the Department of Transportation was like, okay, guys, you know, it can't be the Wild West anymore. We're going to have to figure this out. So it's, yeah, we share the concern. Okay, sorry. Yeah. That, that was a, yeah. a suggestion. No, it's my real. Question, <laughs> my question is, yeah. um, you know, back when Boeing moved here, the incentives for 250 jobs were pretty enormous. Yeah. But you haven't, over time, you haven't had to see giving as many incentives to get a lot of these companies, correct? Yes, that's, well, yeah, 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 not, not, I won't say absolutely. So what's happened here is, you know, there's basically, when it comes to the central business district, the policy shift was, you know, we're really not gonna get into the incentive game. And we were getting a lot of complaints from some of the real estate community because you know what was happening is we were subsidizing relocations within the loop you know and so the argument that that's a zero-sum game yeah it really was now you know there was always the the threat that they were going to relocate out of chicago altogether 
But so, you know, so Mayor Emanuel pretty much, you know, took the TIFs and took most of the downtown, um, the, the big incentives, you know, away. Um, so, it, so you haven't really seen that. Now, um, as you start to got, you know, as we started to get into some of the transitional areas, you know, clearly, um, you know, you're dealing with older in infrastructures and things like that, you know, a lot of the incentives were still kept in place. Certainly, if you're going to do a manufacturing company on the far south or far west side, you know, we're going to use every tool we can. Um, if you're in maybe a transition area, kind of the, like the West Fulton Market or something, it's kind of, you know, they kind of look on on a case-by-case -case basis, but you, you need to make a strong butt for that those incentives are critical. So, um, so yeah, they're not quite out there. And you know what? I think, you know, incentives are also changing. I think we're really trying to, I mean, you heard the things that we talked about that companies want, labor being one of them. You know, tax credits, and that's what a lot of it Boeing was, those kind of come and go with the companies. Half the time, the companies don't even utilize those because of the profitability issues. And, you know, much better use is just good, you know, real workforce strategies and things like that. And I think that's what you're going to see out of the next mayor. And I think that's where the governor is going to go is, you know, there's other incentives that we can do that are going to invest in the people. And whether the company comes or goes, the people are still here. And it's, it's still an investment in the workforce. So it's changing. Yeah. I mean, they used to do edge credits for retainage, right? Yeah. And that's kind of out the window. Yeah. They're going to, they've re reintroduced edge, but at 50% of the level of before, and it's yeah. much more selective. I think the, the play might be opportunity zones, and I'm sure some of you have heard, heard that, where you can actually uh, avoid a capital gains on exit. So it's not an upfront benefit, but it's an exit benefit. So the, I know that there are certain real estate executives from Chicago flying around the country putting options on a bunch of opportunity zones because it's, get in the way of something, right? I don't know that Chicago is in that mode quite yet. Of, it's, it's forming out. It's forming, right? Yeah. So, so I think there's, that's kind of another, and it has to be a really powerful, forward-thinking yeah. corporate user to go to one of those zones and, and kind of, again, re, kind of create its own little ecosystem when it does something like that. I believe I have another question. Yeah, well, I, guess, I guess this is a question for Dennis. Uh, as a proud resident of Chicago, I love these panels because I do, I, do, I do think we have a great city. Uh, what I haven't heard any of you guys mention is the crime, the perception of the crime and the violence of the city. Uh, nothing pains me more when I travel the globe and people from other countries, I say, hey, I'm from Chicago, and, they're, and the, they, within five seconds, they say Chirac. Yeah. Uh, and so how much of that impacts whether uh, businesses come here. I think of the Olympic bid and all of that stuff and all of these things. Uh, would love to hear your your perspective. It's we, we've had this conversation amongst ourselves. You know, it's um, it was rough, and particularly with and as you pointed out, the international. Um, you know, because when you're if you're talking to North Americans, you know, most most people, whether they're based here or they just do business here, you know, they've had enough experience. Um, in the city where they kind of understand the perception and the reality and the statistics don't necessarily line up. So, you know, um, people that haven't spent as much time here, you know, either a coastal location or particularly international, yeah, I mean, it was brutal. I mean, the, the media and then when the President of the United States was out there kind of taking it, you know, taking it the next step, you know, it was not good. Um, so what we do these days is, you know, when we sit down with companies and now the rate has gone down and some of that, some of that, you know, uh, some of the press has died down because the, the murder rate in particular has dropped, the homicide rate. But still, we get that question. Um, you know, what you do is, yeah, it's a problem. Okay, we're not going to deny that. That would be completely false and irresponsible. But you do sit down and you got to lay the map out. And you, get, and, you know, we have precinct by precinct what the rates are. 
Um, a lot of companies, if they were looking at the West Loop or something, you know, it's not a bad rate. It's, you know, for the crime figures are pretty reasonable. And then when you compare central business districts and similar neighborhoods to other cities like Atlanta and that, actually, we're better. So, you know, just got to give people the information, let them know, you know, what, you know, um, I'm not going to blow a lot of smoke, but, you know, lay it out for them what the problems are. Acknowledge that there is a real problem. And then, you know, some companies are even like, you know, and then, and, and if the company wants to go to the next step, hey, there's ways you can get involved. There's things you can do, you know, if you want to help solve the problem. So that's, that's the message. It's been better, but you're right. It was, it was not a good year, what, three years ago now? That was a tough year. Yeah. I mean, if we're dealing with the user, we'll put the kind of soft criteria, trains, restaurants, food, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Crime is certainly one of those topics, and if they dig into it, we dig into it with them. And a lot of it is the trend of what is the nature of the crime, what is the kind of acceleration or not of the, of the type of crime in that immediate area. And so we get we we dig into it, and you know it's it's uh, it's a tough thing philosophically for Chicago, obviously, right? Bob, um, I will tell you, employers coming to the city want diversity, and so if those more diverse hires are impacted by their community, and those a lot of that violence occurs in their community, that's a big issue for them. So we have found more corporates kind of taking a bigger a bigger page at an HR level to try to you know, discuss how they can help improve some of that, those experiences yeah. in the neighborhoods. But it's not, a, I mean, it's not an easy answer for yeah, sure. I think right? the, other, the other important thing is to get you know, clients in to, to feel and touch it because I think it makes a big difference uh, once somebody's here rather than listening to the stories on the news or looking at maps. You know, once they come here, they can see the layout of Chicago and, and you know, where we're doing business and the differences. I mean, probably when I was your age, people would say, oh, yeah, Al, Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's had that stigma for, you know, I don't know, quite a while, right? Uh, they still say that. They still, they they still, still say, say that, that one, yeah. <laughs> okay, we have a question over on the side here. Um, Paul, if you could expand um, with regard to what you shared on the millennials staying downtown and not going back to the suburbs, can you comment as far as education for as they're bringing families? Um, how, you know, our here corporate real estate market is prepared or thoughts or anything So for that? are you addressing how they're raising their kids yes. in schools? Yes. Okay, well, I have personal experience in that because I have a nine-year-old son uh, that I'm raising in Roscoe Village by myself. So he, um, he's going to school in Audubon, which is a local uh, elementary school in our neighborhood. And what we've done as a community is, is we've gotten together within Roscoe Village and we're able to, you know, keep the school within Roscoe Village. So we, we don't have any uh, uh, adjoining neighbor, adjacent neighborhoods um, attending school. And the, the parents within the neighborhood support that school like it's a private school. So it's funded both on a public level as well as a private level to add those additional services. It's working really well for us. We're seeing that a lot in other neighborhoods. I know there was, uh, I think it was Blaine's the school just to the south of us is doing the same thing now and they're regenerizing a school that they were going to close down a couple of years ago. Um, I, you know, schools are getting better. I think that a lot of parents that I talk to are relying less on private, very expensive private schools and relying on less on moving to suburbs where they feel they can get a better education. Uh, the issue is really the, the tax base. I mean, the, I think that the, the primary le reason I hear 
uh, families are moving outside of Chicago and, and for that matter moving outside of Illinois is because the property taxes are going through the roof. Um, you know, you get into some of these suburbs where they're surrounded, you know, within a good school district and you're, you're paying ridiculous tax base and people can't afford it. So. I mean, I think generationally there, you know, we've seen the workforce, right, people at my age. Uh, and you've got not only the millennials, you've got the Gen Z coming up too, right? So I think part of our challenge is you're going to have a f four and a half generations of workers in a space. So it is how does that, how does that all work, right? Does, do they all go off in their silos and I'm in an eight by eight cube and so is the young guy next to me, the young girl over here. And how do we really interact, right? So one of the things we're doing at a company-wide level is we have a Gen All initiative where we're kind of force-feeding this connectivity between the generations because that's got to be critical for a company to be productive because I can learn from young millennial X who's got a tech advantage and that young millennial Y can learn from me with my, you know, hopefully gray hair and some scars. So I think part of it is you've got to be forward on the forward foot at, a, at an organizational level and that's where this HR piece becomes really, really important. You know, just to round out and give a different perspective on the whole millennial part, and thanks to Cushman for the research they've done on this, but uh, it's interesting, you know, we, we say millennial and we think of, you know, we're, we think of one group, one big group of people of a certain age. And the truth of the matter is they're no different than older generations. You know, there's the millennials that, uh, you know, are high achievers in school. Uh, they become executives eventually in business. And then there's the millennials who do other things as well. So you, know, you, you can't really put everything into, into one you know, uh, silo. Um, you have to really look at different segments of the population, just like you know, in our generations, right? Or, so who's the panelist that doesn't have any children up here? <laughs> They're evil. They're evil. No, 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 I have a question for the, for the group. Who is a millennial here? <laughs> And are, is this fairly accurate? Normal people. Normal people. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, in the back, John. Hi there. This is a question for everyone on the panel. Um, what do you think the big takeaway is from the HQ2 effort? And what do you think leaders should, um, should have learned from that kind of collaboration across public, private, and how can we kind of use all of that effort to go after maybe not the next Amazon, but other entities? Yes, we thought that question might come up. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want me to start? Um, go start, yeah. You know, so, you know, actually, um, I feel pretty good, you know, about what we did. I, can, I, I mean, I think there were some things at play here and some reasons and some geographies that, that we always suspected might work against us, and, and I do feel that those, those played out. I don't know necessarily if, you know, our inability. We were in there, we were in it up until the end. It was pretty much the better part of my year last year, just working on that one. Um, so uh, I feel good about it. You know, the nice thing that comes out of these, and I think you kind of touched on that, I mean, I don't think people realize there was a really big one before Boeing way back in the day, a really big corporate headquarters. It was a software company that was looking at Chicago. And, you know, we really, we were, we really pulled out all the stops and we lost that one. But the, the beauty there is that we pulled the community together, we had consultants, we had new materials, um, we had all kinds of pro bono assistance, so that when Boeing walked in the door, we were in pretty good shape. It wasn't like we had to just start. I mean, that's really the silver lining right now to Amazon. You know, we're on the map, we're known, we had a chance to feature some individual real estate parcels out there. I mean, there are very few areas, let alone I mean, the third largest city, you know, that have such beautifully 
sort of perfectly situated real estate for that type of development. And that's been marketed across the country. So I have no doubt that we will see that development, you know, over time. Um, all the materials, all the money, all the effort, you know, um, it was all worth the time. It'll just be for the next project. So that's kind of, you know, I have to do that because we spent a ton of time and money on this. Otherwise, the last year of my life was a waste. So I'm just, no, no, I sincerely believe that. You know, I, I had the benefit of recently going through this process on a much smaller scale than, than Amazon did. But, um, you know, it, it's really... Uh, at some point, you know, you go through what I talked about, looking specific, and there, and the list is much longer. I mean, you know, it's it's 30 to 50 categories long, and they go through a methodical process. You know, look at screening and decide what's the most important thing to your organization, your culture, et cetera. But at some point, when you get down to that smaller list, there's a lot of politics that plays into yeah, it. And, and you know, I. You know, I, I wasn't part of Amazon. I have no idea what happened there. But I've, I've got to imagine, you know, there's a lot of other things considered in that decision making that, you know, weren't publicized, that weren't part of the process, that weren't discussed with, with the potential candidates for the awards. So. Well, we've, uh, sorry, I, we've come to the end of our time. We do our best to get everybody on their way at 1.30. Uh, before I close out and thank our speakers, I just ask you to please take a look at the uh, survey form. Uh, give us a zero for AV, although that's not the fault of any of these gentlemen. But otherwise, we, w we welcome your comments. So with that, I thank you, Dennis, Paul, and Steve. A great, great presentation.